Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of... Oh, my God. We're going to do this every fucking week, Teddy. What is it? What do we do? What can't we do? We can't stop snapping. Episode 72. The massive OTA just dropped the most heavy-handed OTA balance patch that we have ever seen. Smacking down exactly what the community wanted in the meta highlight in bounce. And then elevating, I think, some cards completely out of the blue with some wild potentials, Brad. I am so excited, and I haven't seen anything besides positive reactions to this, honestly. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we always uh, we, we kind of take the community interaction or reaction to things with a grain of salt. Uh, people are, yeah. uh, tend to uh, lean more to the negative stuff for a lot of things. Um, I mean, even Glenn mentioned this in a recent, uh, what's it called? Uh, ask the team Twitter thing where they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're like, how do you value like the recent like backlash or whatever? And he said the same way that we respond to like, uh, like, or like, uh, everything with the internet, it's a, it's more prevalent to have negative reactions be heard on the internet in many different spaces as opposed to positive ones. It's like the yeah. old uh, restaurant review adage. If you're a restaurant owner, you have to remember that one good review or, or one good experience, um, you can have that 10 times in a row, and then maybe you get one word of mouth uh, from those 10 good experiences, right? But whereas one bad experience will get you 10 word of mouth. Like, yeah. you know, like for people not to go there. Um, yeah, 100%. Because the like thing. The, if, it, if the experience meets expectations, you don't hear anything about it. And people's expectations are that they're going to enjoy the game. And so when uh, they don't enjoy the game, they're going to let you know. And then when they do something like this, that feels like really incredibly awesome. You, know, you let them know too. So, uh, I mean, hats off to the developers for taking these swings. I think a lot of these cards really deserved it. And... Um, the cards that are getting the buffs, I think they deserve the buffs as well. They're very cool mm-hmm. designs that open up some very interesting theory crafting opportunities. Yeah, so the way we're going to do it today is like we're going to go over this OTA and we're not going to basically just pound over every single card to be like, what did they do? What does this mean? We're going to do that. There's There are some highlights, of course, because this is such a huge OTA. Uh, but we're ta- basically going to take a look first at what this means for the immediate change of the meta being of course the changes to bounce and then the change to magic and then over on your side teddy we're going to focus a lot more on what is the fun stuff that we can do and also like not just the meta impact of uh magic but what are the fun things that she opens up now look at phoenix force getting a a change ghost spider as well and of course the living tribunal, which the you... triumphant tribunal now. He's a <laughs> god. It was just well, you I... have to wait for my half of the episode to find out exactly while we're teching that. Yep. So let's get into it. But first, I would like to finish our conversation we were having right before we started. We were talking about music off off uh, recording or whatever. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about working what out and stuff like up. that. Yeah. Uh, so actually, I guess this is a good question for you guys. Uh, let us know down in the comments below. I'm even gonna, I'll make a poll thing, whatever, for Spotify in this episode. What music gets you pumped up in the gym? What gets you motivated Dude, to like? Do with the things? connection to Spotify, we should make a public snap playlist. Honestly, that'd the be can't cool. stop snapping playlist. We'll we'll piece it together. Some yeah. highlights. I think I think that's well within our, our reach. 
Well, so I know we were talking about this, and I said I was saying slaughter to prevail, which you you went and got yourself a little sneak peek of them, and you said that's a little a little yeah. too much for your taste. The, uh, the sneak peek, if anybody is wondering, is like a hundred thunderstorms happening at once, uh, <laughs> with the full lightning going on in the background. Like I could I could rock out to one song, but not an entire album. I, I think if you listen to um their album from 2019 which is a uh, which is phenomenal I'll have to say and this for anybody just sit down and go from start to finish and think of it like, don't yeah don't allow yourself to get lost in like what feels like chaos allow yourself to pick out a certain thing from all the songs and focus on that and allow everything else to seemingly flow back into harmony with that element whether it's the vocals uh the drums um the guitar the bass like just fixate on something and i guarantee you you'll come out of it with a different perspective than you might have heard just casually listening to it. Because I can understand for someone that doesn't listen to that kind of thing normally, it does sound chaotic and it, it is a bunch of thunderstorms and stuff like that going on. But if you're able to pinpoint something and focus <laughs> on that and allow yeah, it yeah. to take form, you can find a newfound appreciation. I really, I really think no, so. I would, also, 100%, I would 100% do that when I was listening to the groups that I really liked and albums yeah. on repeat for like back in the day, Disciple and then farther on Nightwish and some other stuff like that. Like, finding that one line that just goes through and like, I know the baseline and then I'd listen to mm. just vocals on one time and it, and then you just have it on lock in your brain forever after my wife is still like freaked out every time I'll start singing along to a song after hearing it twice. She's like, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I'm like, I get it. It just works. <laughs> uh, so what will be your go-to uh, either album or song band, whatever, when you're trying to work out, just kind of get motivated. I'm trying to work out and pump up. It would be yeah. like ten thousand fists disturbed. Ten thousand fists in the air. I mean, Draymond's voice, his vocals are just on another level, uh, as yeah. so beautifully showcased with the recent Sound of Silence cover that they did, which, oh. which is not so recent now. I mean, that that was that's true. Oh, that's true. I'm that's, dating that's myself. A few aren't I? years ago now. <laughs> um, oh, I don't. Man. I'm gonna be honest. I I tried really hard because I. I I grew up really loving Disturbed. That was like my middle school and like, yeah. you know, early high school kind of thing. That was my jam. Um, I remember uh, I, I basically listened to them casually through middle school. And once I got to my sophomore year of high school, there was one of my buddies that was his favorite band. And I was like, give me all your albums. I'm going to burn them. And then like not not physically burn them and set them on fire for yeah, those yeah, of you no, who I aren't know. familiar. I remember the terminology. Like yeah. you actually would it's called burning the C D and you burn it into the driver, like burn it onto another copy of a CD, like so I could also listen to them too without stealing his CDs. We don't we didn't have like Spotify wasn't that big yet. 
Um, it was actually the internet wasn't that big yet. Even then, like Spotify and stuff like that, it wasn't even really in its own form if it even existed at that point. It was mostly like Last FM, uh, Pandora Radio, like those those online radio stations were. It was more so. You get a random ass playlist based on the song that you liked, and you better hope it comes up. Otherwise, yeah. fuck you. You can't choose your songs, and then you had to pay like thirty bucks a month to get that type of thing with like Pandora and shit like that. That was awful. But I got all yeah. the albums and just went went all in on on Disturbed. And uh, so, would you say Ten Thousand Fists is your favorite album by them? Oh, let's see. Let's look at the discography. It might be because it's I've, got. I've always liked. Uh, I mean, it's got ten thousand fists. It's got. Uh, is stricken on that one, or is that indestructible? Stricken's on ten thousand fists, isn't it? I mean, the sickness is so good as well. Um. I I really liked uh, believe was always my go to. That was my favorite disturbed mm. album. Uh, no, my top like, one will be mistress. my top one will be indestructible. That was the one that I listened to the most, actually. That yeah, that that even was though, that one. That one even before I like got into it in like high school, um, that was like the one album I actually sat down and listened to because uh, Inside the Fire was on the radio, The Night was on the radio. Um, yeah. uh, wh- what was the other one? There's one more single. I mean, obviously, Indestructible itself was on the radio too. Yeah, that's um, like their high high. I feel like that album maybe had less high highs for the group, but as an album, I don't know. It it grabbed me. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's that that the uh, those types of bands, uh, I guess, that lean a little bit towards like what you can call dad rock because they have that kind of setup and formula. Uh, the formula in terms of like how they're um, they're structured, um, yeah. like the but I mean that a lot of the stuff I really liked and a lot of stuff I can still listen to and appreciate. Um, like a, a big like Breaking Benjamin fan, um, like I love them growing up. Uh, then, then that like kind of opens up the doors to like other stuff. Um, I like still like Rise Against and all that shit. So like that's like I don't I'm not all in on just super heavy stuff. Which by the way, if you're gonna listen to super heavy stuff, I recommend Veil of Maya. Veil of Maya is so fucking good. You would probably like them more so than the Slaughter to Prevail stuff because they have a nice balance between their screaming and their singing and all that. Um, mm, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, because here's the thing: is like I went from there and then I pushed back and I went to more symphonic metal like Nightwish. Um, mm-hmm. even some like techno metal, like Amaranth and some other stuff like that. Ooh, yeah. I haven't listened to fucking Amaranth in a while. You would, then you would definitely like Veil Mind cause they have a little bit of that like techno, not, uh, I mean, like uh, electronic they, metal they, they ha- hybrid. It's, it's, yeah, but it's more so like in the back end. Like it's it's gotcha. like they they sprinkle it in as that flavor as opposed to it just being like uh like that one album from Asking Alexandra that everyone hated when they went like all techno basically or whatever. Like that was that that's the one I can think of. But, you know. Anyway, if you guys have favorite albums for working out or whatever, let us know. But I wanted to finish that conversation cuz I love music and that's one of my favorite things in the world. So yeah, let's and it is, I guess to tie it into bounce as you hear all this drama from the bands as they break up with different members and whatnot and then try and reform to be just as good as before, maybe not as good as before. Bounce is looking at potentially needing to make a lot of substitutions here. If you were to say that the lead singer of Bounce was Kitty Pride, she doesn't have the chops that she used to being changed from yeah. one zero to one two. I think the community nailed this uh, prediction plus one on return. It means that her high highs are, are not there. Her consistency is, though. I think she still hangs in with the band. And I think what the the unfortunate casualty was the Shuri Kitty Pride deck. It, it had to die because the other forms were too strong. 
And it's too bad, because that Shuri Kitty Pride deck I don't think was overpowered, and it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that can work in some way uh, still, but it's certainly not as good nor as consistent of like the, the massive amount of like power up you get. Jesus Christ, Arby. I know. <laughs> she she woke herself up um, from asleep because she gets that random cat instinct to lick herself violently. And yep. by doing so and jerking upward, she basically slid, was sliding off my lap out to fall. I had to catch her and then got mad at me for catching her. I'm like, all right, I'll fucking drop you next time. Anyway, Arby's my cat, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think she's going to be fine. I think she's still going to be very good in balance. It's just going to take away some of those weird uh, different builds you can go with Kitty. And probably going to take away that chance of her being that blanket one drop that you just jam in as many yes. decks as you can. That's I what I was going to say. Is now thing. she has to have support for her to make sense in a deck. Otherwise, you run Nebula, I think, in her place every time. Like, if you yeah, were running her just to have something to do with one energy, you, you need something else to justify the Kitty Pride now. Yep. And then another card that got hit in Bounce, which is funny that they refer to it as being a Bounce nerf. And they even joke about that in the thing as well. Uh, is uh, Spider Ham. I'm going to gloss Another, over Hitmonkey Another premier one cost. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Spider Ham being a 1-1 one, one before and now being a 2-2 two, two, doing the same thing. And the, uh, you know what I'm more interested about? I'm more interested in the uh, the idea that they're saying that they'll have a future adjustment down the road to address, uh, address his behavior with big cards like Death, She-Hulk, and Apocalypse, essentially saying those decks are now out of the meta. And then, all right, so, okay, she was yelling at me. Um, so I'm very interested in what that is going to look like. What do you think um, that's going to look like? Now, of course, in, in Bounce, whatever, this is a card that saw the most play in this deck, but I've seen, but it's seen play in pretty much as many other decks as you can think of that don't yeah. really rely on um, super heavily those one drops. Like, they might be playing... Uh, you know, Nebula and like Sunspot at the same time, uh, because of the flexibility that that he, uh, he provided and just being like, you don't need to hit on turn one. Like Iceman, you want to hit on turn one or turn two. You can wait until like three or four. Yeah. For Spider Ham, but what do you think they're going to be doing that makes that change so that he's not as punishing against cards like She Hulk, Apocalypse, and uh, Death? I think that they just make it so that he hits a random card instead of the most expensive card. I feel like that's somewhat a lateral because you can sometimes occasionally have even more pivotal cards for your build in the middle of your energy curve. But then because it's specifically pushing out these other archetypes from their existence, which it is really unfortunate, like he specifically squelched uh, discard, which was a viable meta deck and more free to play accessible. So I love to see that being able to open up more space. They're also just looking at his general play rate to see if they need to make an additional adjustment. It um, mm. it was funny to me to hear that they called out She-Hulk. Who is trying to play She-Hulk and then is sad about Spider-Ham? I don't understand that one. Like I, I felt like She-Hulk has been gone from the meta for a little while. Also, I think in terms of just Spider-Ham, like the community correctly identified that he was a two-cost masquerading as a one-cost for a while, and so that's why he was absolutely everywhere. It yeah. is going to make him a lot harder to run and bounce now at, at the 2-2. Two, two. I think that he's still viable. for The 2-2 two, two style, like if he was to release fresh, without people having their mind now, he got nerfed. He's worse. But what if you just heard fresh, there's a 2-2 two, two that takes away the ability of the opponent's strongest card and shows you what's in their hand. I think you still play it. 
Yeah, but and it makes for his flexibility in other decks a bit more difficult now. You can't just blanket yes. shove him into a lot of decks because that's what one drops do. They create flexibility. Um, for yeah. anyone who watched last week with Drew Barry on, we uh, over on your side of the channel on that half of the episode, we talked about like a big old bracket and like breaking down the best of the best or i guess the worst of the worst if you want to go about it that way of snaps history and these cards that were undeniably broken and the winner was nova right but it was yeah. up, but up against nova was the old okoye uh that we decided on being the one one version that gave plus one to everything it's just one drops are supremely powerful in their flexibility um and not just something like a sunspot or a nebula it can just be something like a spider ham and I wonder yeah, if this is an order of magnitude different, right? To go from mm-hmm. one to two, because a one cost, you can think I can run any one cost in any deck if I think it's genuinely good and it won't change my game plan. The two cost becomes a lot harder to squeeze in. And then three cost is like that has to build into the main plan mm-hmm. of my deck. I only have six turns. Exactly. And I, I'm wondering how big of an impact this makes on other two drops as like competition. Like, I already don't see Scorpion hardly ever. Does this just make Scorpion stock go down even worse? And then, of course, this allows, um, or this makes it so Spider-Ham, you don't really want to play him in, uh, you know, Zabu uh, shells uh, with, like, Darkhawk specifically, like those packages, because typically the two drops that I see in that are going to be Zabu himself and then maybe Jeff for the flexibility. And I I think you don't want the three two drops in that deck um i don't know i i'm i'm very skeptical about spider ham in there he could still be good but i'm trying to imagine the curve and i can see issues with like i mean even jeff has issues but jeff you can at least play on turn six as just a two three if need be right um whereas spider ham not really a good turn six play <laughs> No, so, not what you want to do on turn six, but it could be exactly what you want to do on turn five when you had a three-cost rock slide, and then you go into Spider-Ham. Mm-hmm. The opponent thought they had things figured out. You've snapped on them, and then they lose their, their pivotal card. Yeah, or you don't snap on them. You just get a feel for what that final turn is. Um, as long as he's coming out by turn five, I think you're still fine. Yeah, so <laughs> Jeff versus Ham. Where does the recommendation it's, go? I think Jeff. I think the flex of, like, again... Ham is going to be still very powerful, especially considering they're like, we're going to change something else with him soon. Um, so maybe you should play Ham for now until they nerf him again, ultimately. Um, but uh, I, th- I still think I would take Jeff over it because that flexibility means so much. Um, get it, being able to get into a Professor X lane or be able to sneak into like a Sanctum Santorum and things like that, um, it, it's... Professor X people, is certainly a big... He's on the rise right now. And absolutely. Jeff plays perfectly with that. So, the, well, to throw a wrench in here, Spider-Ham is half-priced compared to Jeff. So if you didn't have either one and you were trying to scrape together tokens through Token Tuesday bundles, which one are you getting? Hmm. I feel like there I might actually go Ham first just because he's so much I cheaper. Think, I think I'd still go Jeff. I okay. can tell you why. Because... We're not getting a uh, we're not getting Jeff in a reserve until or a spot reserve until the last month of what they've announced, which is the first yeah. week of September. <laughs> it's a ways. It is a while from now, and I would argue that within that time, 
through the Token Tuesdays that come out, in addition to um, random bundles or whatever, or maybe you get enough variants to hit your 2K or whatever, right? Um, like even this one that came out today uh, was um, a thousand tokens for that uh, twenty bucks, thousand tokens, oh, yes, the variant yes. and stuff. You're gonna recoup three thousand tokens a lot faster than you'll get six thousand before Jeff would even come out anyway. So before Jeff comes out, if you have enough to get Jeff now, you can get Jeff and Spider Ham before he's even in the spotlight. Cash, I feel. Interesting, interesting. So both of them to make a, a great mirroring is they release on battle pass card release weeks. So there's no other new card releasing with them in the caches. You have spider ham, Nimrod and Galactus coming out together in one mm-hmm. cache. And then the next season you have Jeff Ghost spider and null null with the repeat already. Yeah. I'm Those not a fan both of that. So good. Yeah. The null early repeat. I don't get it. Is that because we're actually getting a token shop drop of everything that got skipped? Or is it because Maybe. they just want to re-feature Null and they have their, they've got great Null art coming out their eyes? Null Null variants don't miss. Honestly, both of these caches look pretty good. Um, if you don't have the other cards featured, of course, like if you if you're not someone who gets the battle pass, these caches that release right now are actually very good. You get the Ghost Spider, you get the Nimrod. Um, Ghost Spider looking way better after this OTA and Nimrod looking really good coming into the next season where we get X-23. I think the the community is very much unifying around X-23 being a new top meta contending card and so you're going to want the Nimrod for that. The Galactus, yeah, I, I don't know. So too. He's a fun bag of tricks, but he's not not what he used to be. And then Spider-Ham now at 2-2 two, two, maybe, maybe a little bit harder to swing. Like if you don't care about the Galactus and you don't care as much about the spider ham than just to go for nimrod that's a that's a tall ask there's a lot of weird bundles for these um these like things like it it it's hard to I say i don't want to um, criticize them too much i feel like we've heard a lot of this but yeah for people yeah. who are fairly well developed in their collection they're like these caches are the, such a ripoff when you get a couple opens that are not something either you already have or you didn't care about well not to not to let's not harp on this too long then but Quick solution, I still think, is very easy. Doesn't take much. Because I think the system in place is a huge step forward, but they've shot themselves a foot in a little bit for overcompensating the tokens that you get each month. And then, of course, which they've already addressed in a uh, in the answer to the community, that they're displeased currently, as well as everyone else, with the random Series 4, Series 5 card aspect of the spotlight. So very simple. Add duplicate protection to the Series 4, Series 5, meaning you cannot pull anything you don't own. And if you, for some reason, own every other Series 4, Series 5 card, then you just go ahead and get a variant, right? That's fine. I think that's, or even better yet, maybe instead, it's a thousand tokens, like something like that. Yes, but I can uh, I can a see token them being stingy. Would be awesome. I can see them being stingy on the tokens, especially if they, in the same vein, do my second suggestion of upping the monthly tokens to. I think it should be two thousand. I've seen some people say that it, based on the new system and the math involved, you can essentially be free to play and then eventually have a complete collection based on the spotlight caches if they do that. But you'd have to optimize the system, and my argument to that is. Not every person optimizes the system. Most people don't think about the game that way. Um, and I don't think you should 
punish or, or make a thing worse just for those few people that will optimize it. But let's say if that's the case, then a thousand or fifteen hundred a month. It needs to be over. It cannot be four hundred. It has to be minimum a thousand, in my opinion. Um, which <laughs> I think so that's still even low. Slow. It hurts. It hurts. So what about? I, I like this. I like getting to use the token shop a little bit more because I thought it was a good system, um, and just unfortunately never got full support for the community to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What if the dupe protection comes in and then they just space out? They have you have two caches. One is for the variants, and then one is for the cards. And they space out the cards much farther apart, but then you on the same cadence get a a variant only cache. Because I feel like these new premium variants are super cool, but right now the sentiment is you open until you get a new card and then you stop. You don't, chasing a variant with your spotlight caches is considered like malpractice with how slow you are to gather them and how many pulls you potentially need to get the specific cards you want later on. So if you have dupe protection and a guarantee of cards albeit at a farther paced out space. And then they gave you a system to be able to interact to chase the variant systems that you want. I, I just feel like overall, that would be more fun. Yeah, I think that could work. Like as of as stands right now, I think most people will average about one, maybe two spotlight caches in a given week. I know I'm going to be averaging probably two every week, um, just based on like the challenges um, and like, uh, you know, maybe getting a bundle that week that gives me an extra thousand credits or whatever, but that's really it. Like without going super whale and spending on gold to like get more credits. I'm not going to do yeah. that for a lot of these spotlight caches. Like even now, like I, I would like to get echo. Um, I don't really want to spend six K on her. So I'm going yeah. to attempt to get her from the spotlight cache. But if I don't, yeah, yeah. then I'll probably just buy her. I'm not too worried about that. Um, but yeah, I do like your idea of like separating them into two different tiers to have a variant like if- cache and a card cache. Would you ever right now spend chase an extra throw an extra cash at chasing a variant only for no. a variant? That's like the only thing that you want. Not really. No, yeah. exactly. So that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at is like the the disparity between like the value of getting a new card is so high that people this these awesome variants are just getting thrown into the caches to die. I don't think I'm ever going to see these uh, these well, pseudo exclusive variants played. Hmm. I mean, th- this exactly happened to me last week. Uh, s- Monday night, uh, right before, like a couple, like literally an hour or two before the switch, before Echo came out and the new Spotlight Cash released, I uh, had I've I've done I did two pulls on the Spotlight Cash, and the only thing I was missing was the random one and then the null variant, yeah. and I was literally five collection level away from my my third Spotlight Cash right of that week. Yep. And I was basically going like, I have enough credits to instantly get it and take the role on the null variant that I really liked. Or I can wait two hours, do that, and try to get the, the echo on first try. And I, I chose yep. the latter. I chose the latter. Yeah. Even though the null variant I love, I'm sad that I didn't get it. But honestly, I am okay with it. And also, you know what? Uh, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a little bit of a good thing that I didn't get it to an extent. Because I kind of like the idea if I see someone with it, you know, it's like, cool, you got the cool variant. Like, I got the Living Tribunal one, and I have the Jean Grey one. I think those are really cool. I have yet to see someone, and I've seen a lot more Living Tribunal recently, by the way, today. Um, I've yet to Post see that OTA. variant. Yeah, I've yet to see that variant. And I'm like, cool, I got, uh, it yeah, feels yeah. nice that I, I, I have something that people don't have. Um, and I think that, that I think that's a nice little aspect of, like, when I see the Jean Grey, when I see the Null 
and like all these other variants. I don't want everyone to have them. Um, but you should have, I guess you should have the option to push for that in a more feasible way than not. So I don't know. It's a touchy thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like if they're okay making ultra exclusive variants that you're hardly ever going to see, then I guess more power to them because it does become that much more special. And with their emphasis on kind of the, the quote unquote unique collection, I feel like because the, the card catalog in snap is nowhere near like magic or Yu-Gi-Oh people can mm-hmm. be collection complete relatively easy, but the unique collection is your variants and what you have, how you've chosen to upgrade them. Are you gold on it? Are you foil on what are you noir on what? And how do you like to, yeah, to yeah. tech out that way? Which I, I can definitely respect. I can respect that. Not to fast forward too far into the, our segment, but, uh, or my segment living tribunal. If people, the people who didn't pull him and were initially very happy, I think might be a bit jealous from the people <laughs> who pulled tribunal while chasing Jean Grey. Cause that yeah, so- is insane. I, I uh, quick quick tangent because we have to get back to the last thing for uh, for bounce in a second to go over that. But I find it really weird when people get upset about pulling things. Like for example, I pulled Living Tribunal from a Series Five like cash, not a spotlight cash. Yeah. This is before the system got put in. Just a random cash. I got uh, Living Tribunal, and I was like, the one in four hundred. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Like, I mean, I'm not going to be mad that I got it. I, I, I was not going to spend tokens on it, so I'm glad that I got the card I wasn't going to spend tokens on that I find interesting enough to want to play. It's just I don't find valuable enough to do anything yeah. with it in terms of the monetary aspect. So I don't understand people getting upset. Like, I know you didn't get the one you wanted, I guess, but and that, I guess, creates a whole other topic of the feel-bad aspect of the loot boxy type of gambling idea when it comes to these types of caches but i guess that can be for another episode entirely we could spend all day on that the other there we thing, go. that's the headline is snap ethical yeah exactly <laughs> the other thing for bounce that got changed was hit monkey himself from a 2-0 gain plus two power each of the card you play this turn to a three two so they're tacking on one additional energy and also giving you essential one hit uh, off of his original ability to compensate for that change. We were talking about something a little bit earlier before we started recording. And with another card in this list and looking at some of the ways that you can do stuff with bounce, how do you feel about surfer bounce? I want you to tell me all about it, Teddy. How are you feeling about that? Because you brought that up so to me earlier. So the 3-2 three, the three, stat line seems to be the dev's new favorite as opposed to 4-6. Four, 4-6 six. Four, six is old news, guys. It's 3-2s now. We got we got Surfer, we got Monkey, and we have Magic. Down from 5-3 three, to 3-2. Three, she is Queen of Limbo, and she could be Queen of the meta right now. I think that Bounce is the surprise. Like, it, old Bounce would gas itself out by T6. New Bounce is like, yeah, give me more turns. I'll keep on racing you now that I've set up all my engine pieces. Mm -hmm. And with how many of the cards that are good in Bounce have been pushed into three cost, Surfer Bounce is legitimately looking like a powerful tech piece. I don't think that you're playing Surfer to then beast him back and play him again. I think that you're trying to blow out the opponent with a final set of buffs on your Nikia, your Bishop, your Magic, your Monkey, and your... You could be running Jean Grey in there. I don't know. You do you. Um, you have a plenty of other auxiliary cards that could slot in as well. But with the shell of just like Kitty, Bishop, Angela as the bounce side, and then all these threes, you're looking fantastic. Or even just skew it more toward uh, Sarah deck that runs Wong anyway to be able to empower your surfer 
And then Monkey Surfer on Wong plus one other three cost is looking mighty fine. Yeah, honestly, that doesn't sound too bad either. Like a Brood on one lane. Maybe you just go Jean Grey, uh, Brood, and then yep. Wong Surfer Monkey. That that that's a that's a three four five six right there that works. Um, exactly, and if you've checked so, in yeah. magic, you can extend the game even farther to help you find I, your combo uh, pieces like Wong and yeah. things like that to go that extra mile. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, I, I I don't mind that. I really don't. Iron Man loves still running in this deck if you're setting up the Sarah and you have a turn seven because you can play Iron Man plus a three cost on turn six and then go into your explosion of power. Still probably playing from behind an initiative as Bounce is loathe to do. I think the, the the big echoes that I see here is like, the two cards that are not on this list but are severely affected are Bast and Surfer. Surfer is rejoicing. Bast is looking at some of her best targets, not needing her anymore. I think Bounce actually cuts, well, I think they cut Ham. And I think they cut mm -hmm. Bast as well. And maybe hit Monkeys on the chopping block like the, the for the true lean bounce decks, I could see them dropping monkey and then just going back to bounce hawk or bounce move hybrid. To bring in one more card into the discussion, the ghost spider down from two three to one two synergy with Falcon yeah. now uh, is looking beautiful for being able to combo around your human torch and then even your dagger. I think is cheap enough to be able to run happily here. I think Bast is still viable because I think if you're going to be running any version of Bounce with Iron Man in there, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to convince yourself and everyone else that Bast is incorrect, even with Hitmonkey being like like you're saying in those leaner versions, one that goes to like Dark Hawk again or whatever with like yes. Korg that you can pick that up. And deck stuff like will that deck will still love it. That will still have uh, Bast, and I think even the one that might want to run Hitmonkey could also still have Bast. Now, um, just again because like. You still have good hits with Angela and Bishop. I think Kitty is still a decent hit. I mean, it's still a plus one power. Mysterio is obviously still an amazing hit in that regard. Yes, that's so the god you, hit. You, you lose some steam, of course. Um, and some of your hits that were your most impactful are now just somewhat impactful. Though, what I am curious on is actually, what about a Sarah bounce list now with uh, the cost inch, inch, uh you know, increase on hip monkey and things like that. Could you go yeah. into that kind of route? Um, or even, I still think the best Sarah controlist was the one that was doing the hybrid bouncing with like kitty. And then you had like your sentinel in there for consistency. Um, and you're like, little Mysterio and stuff like that. I, I still think that was the best way to do it. Is that now maybe the default way to do bounce moving forward? To include Sarah. That's interesting. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on what would have happened if the meta had continued to stew for another week or two here, because it felt like a very interesting progression of like everybody was like high evolutionary is God. And then they're like, no, it's, it's bounce. And then they're like, okay, well nerf evolutionary. And then everyone's mm -hmm. like, God bounces God. I hate bounce. But now in this like final week leading up to this OTA, I didn't feel like bounce was it quite had its at solid foundation as people thought it, it did. People were teching in more initiative, shots the professor x was coming out and so well, and then we had this I, i'm rambling it here at this point but the, the bounce went through this evolution of like it was the lambie series tournament winning bounce deck or nothing and then it started playing in sarah and then the sarah deck started cutting sarah <laughs> they were running like spider-man yeah. so i don't know if you go for sarah if you just go for other control 
So I think Sarah makes a little sense now, but I, I want to touch on this real quick. So you're talking about maybe balance was starting to be on a little bit of a downswing, right? Because yeah. of the text people were making. I would argue, and I did argue this in my recent article with Snap.Fan talking about the rise of the Silver Surfer, uh, not the movie, the actual meta and the, the deck itself. In the, Great movie, game. great movie. Uh, of theaters. course, yep. <laughs> 10 of 10. Amazing. Um, I mentioned this talking about my the rules of three, which is the thing that I look at for a deck. And so we talked about a little bit on this cast before, looking at things yeah. like, for example, Shuri. Shuri has three ways to combat the negative aspect of these high-powered cards. Red School giving plus two to all your opponent's card. Typhoid Mary giving minus one to all of your cards. They give you great large power output, but give a downside. The best way to combat that is A, Shuri, straight up doubling the power, pretty much negates the positives that you are giving your opponents. B, Sauron, silence it. And C, zero, silence yeah. it. Rule of three, you have three ways to ex like extend into your game plan. And I was talking about balance being an amazing aspect of this rule because they don't have a rule of three. They have a rule of like seven. Every yeah. card in their deck is so amazing at both performing what it wants to do for the deck in terms of the engine and the way the deck runs with each other and the synergies, while also being a powerhouse in their own rights and pulling their own weight in terms of the power level that they present in a vacuum. <laughs> that that was the issue with bounce. So, and one thing I mentioned in that is the text that you are talking about, that's one thing that, to help with initiative, right? For example, yeah. the biggest one being the Invisible Woman tech, hiding a Killmonger underneath her, um, or a Shadow King. While very smart to do so, I think ultimately extremely negative for the game. A horrible thing really? for the game. Really? I think when you devolve yourself into a meta in which it is the correct thing to start by saying, well, you got to put this card in your deck because this deck's running rampant. You need this tech card to you know, combat it, right? Or this tech package. Otherwise, you don't have much of a chance, which I think isn't that, isn't that large of an exaggeration when you say that about balance of, of its recent state against most decks. It's just its flexibility was unmatched. It's why uh, we basically decided on giving it the edge of um, high evolutionary before its nerf um, because of the flexibility and the way it can manipulate its lanes and, of course, its, uh, its priority. I think when you have a meta in that state, even though technically it's still diverse, it's still healthy to an extent, what it means for the meta long term is very unhealthy, what I think, uh, because it restricts your deck building, restricts the creativity of the community. While, e while I will still admit it is creative that they came up with that counter, what it leads to leads to un like, like no creativity flourishing whatsoever. I think that's always a bad thing. You shouldn't start any conversation of a new deck being it's a 10-card deck. You have to have these two cards in there right off the bat which is like what we talked about with like Okoye and like Nikki and stuff like that. That's bad for the game too, because they're that good that they just slot into every deck. It's the same idea and the same principle in my opinion. And I don't think, so I think this change, while maybe the meta could have caught up with it, it made it so that you really need to nip this in the bud. So it's not gonna, you know, uh, create this monogamy of, uh, or monotony, I should say, of uh, of the meta in terms of what you do for techs. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree that Bounce was oppressive and that the nerfs are deserved. My view on, like, the tech of Invisible Woman or Ghost for control purposes to be able to, like, lock initiative is just a factor of the community gaining more experience and a higher skill level. I think mm. Bounce was a very high skill expression deck, and especially the theory crafters Agreed. who pioneered it, looking at how you can dance around, dance around initiative and just how valuable that was. I don't think the community understood that before Bounce. And now people both understand that and how to be able to play against it. So I think we've kind of leveled up as a community now that we've had the mm -hmm. bounce meta come and maybe go, uh, maybe go, maybe it's still here. Um, in terms of uh, like the, the specific tech, it's also good up against Thanos, who seems to be one of the heirs apparent to the meta, um, winning another recent pretty high profile tournament. So there could be more to this, this tech well, as like then, just then generally good than just one deck. Mm -hmm. What's, what do you got? Uh, I was saying, then I started seeing, um, for the brief moment in time, uh, while we were leading into this OTA, Bounce was playing Cosmo in some ways that I saw, and even against me, where I would do the Invisible Woman thing, and they just slammed the Cosmo in, in that oh, lane, and I was oh. like, God, oh, fuck, <laughs> this it's, sucks. It's the, it's the, the Baron Harkonnen, there's plans within plans, feints within feints. Yeah, but like I that's what I'm it. saying, like, imagine that then... You were asking what would have happened if the meta kept going. I think a very possible growth or uh, evolution of balance is that they start playing Cosmo to just be like, "All right, you're gonna you're gonna tech in against us. We're gonna tech right back in against you." And again, gotcha. this yeah. is where I say a sideboard would fix all of this because rather than just saying you have to start your games with these techs in. You can just tech them in later in the next games and force your opponent to be like, well, I guess now you got to tech in that Cosmo you have in your sideboard now, huh? And like it creates this whole different game within a game. And I think that would be valuable. And that's where I think that would be healthy for the game to have these really cool, intricate, you know, builds of like, you got to bring in this package of Invisible Woman and like Killmonger. That's amazing for the game. But because of the context provided of a singleton aspect of the game even in the sense of um conquest because you can't change yeah. deck lists or decks even yeah, yeah. um that i think is a bad thing for the game it's a subtle difference really but I, it makes the biggest difference in terms of like the health i feel of a format yeah it's interesting to think about how how different things would be i think for ranked it makes sense the way that it's set up right now because it makes it mm as approachable as possible if you if you start asking people to deck build a, a sideboard and whatnot then they have to have a larger collection to build like the full fully fleshed out meta decks and, and whatnot so to be able to get people started playing rank just as quickly and easily as possible the current format makes sense but yeah when conquest is so competitive and then one bad matchup at the end of your gauntlet is just like oh well i can't beat this deck uh, yeah. because he's running something that I didn't expect or is unpopular right now, and I'm running the counters to all the other meta stuff, but this one gets through me. It's like, well, that sucks, because then if you probably if you had like started with those tech cards for that bad matchup from the beginning, you might not have even made it to that spot because you needed the other tech cards for what you face along the way. Um, and the game keeps on getting more diverse, so the 12 cards is very restrictive, which is why Kang gets edged out, right? That yeah. that's how valuable a single spot in your deck is. People thought the effect of Kang is good, but turns He's out the free. opportunity cost of a, a space in your deck is um, very expensive. Now, okay, do you know what I think would be an interesting buff for Kane? Because the, the theory that people had was if you draw into Kang on five or on six even and you just play him, then the turn yeah. restarts and then you draw a new card. So it essentially was free in your deck. Yes. Would you be in favor... 
or at least entertain the idea of uh, maybe Kang having one of those uh, clauses like a Chavez or whatever where you always draw it on X turn. That way you might be incentivized to play it on turn five or on turn six you draw it then to then get your free look of information and then reset your uh, reset the turn and then get another card to replace him as opposed to him sitting in your hand from the beginning of the game and then you're actually down a card technically. Fascinating. So here's... <laughs> Kang needs something, but in his current form, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like him. I, <laughs> I just don't really want him to be that competitive because replaying the turn is just aggravating to me to then replay the mind games. Um, mm-hmm. If he had some kind like the consistency factor there, if you had a Chavez and a Kang that would like guaranteed to appear on specific turns, he might have to compete with Chavez. Um, you might run both if they're if it's five and six, and that actually yeah. Might if it's make five and six, you run birth, really and then you good. You could just like guarantee your early cards almost mm-hmm. every time with the way the deck is or the, the Ooh, deck size is currently um, set up. That'd be dangerous. Imagine a deck where it's Quicksilver and uh, and what's her name Domino, and then Kang Chavez. So basically, the uh, middle of the deck is you're pretty much guaranteed to draw them. Middle yes. in the in the mid game. Uh, that's what would be the math on that? Because you have four guaranteed slots, two star in your hand out of four. Right after that first turn draw. Because uh, you start well, with I think three the, and draw initially. I, I, I wonder yeah, yeah. what the math the, the, is on that. The main, thing, the main thing is like if you have the Chavez and if you have the Kang, that's guaranteed to appear on five. Um, if you're running, I think you only need a single thinning effect, meaning Magic or Jubilee, to guarantee seeing every card in your deck every game. Okay, so then that'd probably be... So it would have to be Kang being a 6-0. Um, if we kept him the same exact effect and added this caveat and then draw on turn six and you can't play him with Chavez or essentially basically if you play both of them, it's a 50 50 of drawing one or the other on turn six. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I could see the animation now as Chavez opens the star and then Kang punches her and comes in. (laughs) Could you imagine if they they added stuff like that? That'd be amazing. (laughs) The next game is Kang is coming in in his little invasion cycle and Chavez opens a star and punches him and then drops into your hand. You're like, Oh my gosh, I got Chavez this time. Okay. It'd be hilarious. So speaking of, you know, making games last longer uh we yeah. got magic as a three two and she is from a lot of people's perspective going to be just played in every deck now i don't think it's gonna be that dramatic um but you're definitely gonna see a lot more limbo and perhaps this makes the stock rise for things like uh scarlet witch storm rhino even okay a hundred percent. Your location fixers to be able to break the opponent's game plan if they're counting on turn seven and you're able to cut that short is going to be magnificent. That's kind of so she's not in her old form, right? Where she was playable on six. Your opponent had no way of stopping that or preempting that aside mm-hmm. from a, a shot, wild shot at Cosmo, right? Um, so now if you set her up early, you're pretty vulnerable to them canceling Limbo at, at some time or other if they have the capability to do so, especially with how popular Thanos is right now, always yeah. having Reality Stone as a, as an option. <laughs> That's another um, thing, too, yeah. Suddenly, Legion, who will then spread your Limbo everywhere, making it uncounterable, is looking a little bit better. <laughs> Which I... So we talked about why... Like we're like, why didn't they make him a four six or a four five, right? Maybe yeah. the, they knew this was coming, and then that's possibly why. I also heard Ben Brode thinks <laughs> he was unsure in this video clip, but he thinks that the interaction with Storm actually works. That Storm on four, Legion on five, locks everything. And yeah, because they showed it in the trailer. 
They showed the beginning of the combo. They did not show what happened no, on no, the next no, no. turn. No, 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 yes, 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 that's what I'm saying. But like what I'm my argument is like why would you show that in the trailer if it didn't work in that yes. way? Um, Though also they thought that Kitty Pride wouldn't have bugs when they release her and they thought that Iron Lad would show both players the card he copied. <laughs> so the devs just uh, do yeah. stuff in their environment that don't work in live. So it could be one of those. Um, yeah, Ben Brode was basically saying like Legion has been banging around in the dev environment ever since the early testing days. So they've been testing him for years at 5-2. And now they're planning to release him at 5-3 with Synergy with Magic. <gasps> what is happening? I mean, I mean, yeah, so like very interesting aspect of like conquest right um like the implication yeah. of that because now you're looking at like if once you show that of like saying hey you can't stop limbo um yeah if we see the stock of these other cards rise right where there's a lot more playable uh or play to them being scarlet witch um and like rhino and things like that it is an interesting thing of being like you need to throw this down early and then you might yes. be incentivized to hold on to your magic until four so you would go mm-hmm. straight four or five. Straight um, it depends uh, also, on if you're trying to key off of Sarah because the Sarah magic is the power duo, right? Yeah. This was the couple in the beta that was in every deck because what Sarah lets you do if you have turn six and turn seven with the energy cheat is obscene. The number of combos, the extra legs that you can have. You could completely hide what your deck does until the final turn and run down like Wong has met, Wong Mystique has met, uh, Luke Cage all on turn 7 the opponent was like oh that was your deck okay <laughs> you had no idea what they could do to play against it so um, if you're not running Sarah then the, the Legion straight into magic does make a bit of sense or just running it as a tech is like an alternate option if the opponent is showing they can stop you also the Cosmo will protect yeah, your limbo that, that too uh, like I was thinking like you would just go magic on 3 immediately if you have initiative Cosmo right behind it yeah, and be like you yeah. can't stop this um, exactly now i don't know how viable or how necessary that is also same thing with the legion thing right um we'll have to wait and see how much these other cards come up to stop now there's also the chance of you just running all these kind of cards that shut off limbo in the deck with magic to have those surprise turn sixes where you're like all right get fucked because like i mean think about it this way hear me out imagine a deck in which you uh, you play magic and it's surfer Okay. Yeah. So you're going like brood, uh, in like or in like and then Jean Grey onto the brood lane, um, or vice versa, whatever. Um, magic, and then uh, like either Rhino Storm, followed by Surfer, to just shut it down. And like imagine that in a conquest game, you can pivot and play the long game as a Surfer player and go, okay, yeah, we're gonna keep with this limbo thing. And that mind game aspect can come into play of like your opponent going, okay, are they gonna turn off limbo, or are they gonna they're gonna stick yeah. with the game? And you have that you know that little you know trick up your sleeve. I think 100%. that's something to be explored. That sounds super interesting. Because the opportunity cost of setting up magic to be able to open up this mind game as a 3-2 is not that high. Like, the 5-3 was way more expensive. Spending your turn 5 to, or 5 energy just in general, usually on turn 5. To only Mm -hmm. establish 3 power was, like, abysmal. But spending your turn 3 to set up a 2 power that then gets buffed later by Surfer, you're like, that's kind of what I was going to do anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I might have played a 3-3 instead that had some other effect, but I was probably just going to do that anyway. So now you open up the mind games. The opponent is like, oh, do we get turn seven or not? Should I dump my hand now or not? If I dump it now and then they leave it, then they hit me with Shang-Chi. If I wait to play around it, they cut it off and then I lose. I need to run Kang. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now some Kang stock is going uh, up. Like it's, 
it's very interesting. I'm I'm very intrigued of what's going to happen with this new magic meta. Uh, I saw someone, I don't remember who it was, they tweeted out saying, hey, here's a tip for everybody. Everyone run a magic deck, but don't run magic because your opponent's probably going to be doing it for you. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, yes, we're going to see a lot more turn sevens in general. I feel like from what gameplay I've gotten to do thus far, I've not seen magic absolutely everywhere. I've been running mm. it mostly, but my opponents don't usually have it. Um, I've still been outrunning my opponents, though. I think that Magic is like the huge... Magic and Living Tribunal are the huge winners here. I agree. Um, Along with Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer is looking great. Uh, don't sleep on Phoenix Force, but, you know, I guess we'll talk about that on your side of it. So, that's going to do it for us here. We have Magic, we have Bounce. Let us know what you think about that portion of the meta what's going to be happening with this ota and of course let us know in general what you think of the ota and what you're excited most for and with that let's carry over to teddy's and talk about what this means for the lesser cards that even teddy said weeks ago living tribunal might be the worst card in the game uh yeah so maybe See you guys over on my channel best bye-bye Can't Stop Snapping is a podcast hosted and produced by Brad Safer and Teddy Ninja, originally created by Michael Thurman. All right. Hey, Teddy, where can the listeners find you, the wonderful mind who's no longer wearing a bandana for some reason? I don't <laughs> even know who you are. Where can uh, they find the Teddy, you? The Teddy Forehead Reveal over on <laughs> Teddy Ninja YouTube. I stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday, YouTube, and Twitch. Twitch at Teddy Ninja 15 Love to see all you guys over there. What about awesome. you, Brad? Where can they get more from for the Bradsiver? You can find me on Twitter at Bradsiver and pretty much everything else underneath that moniker. And that's pretty much it. You know, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff. And Spotify, of course, vocal artist credits coming soon? Uh, so I am... On there in the uh, so there's a song called um, "Daughter of Muse" by Reclaim the Throne. If you want to listen to my vocals on Spotify, I guess if you really want to do that. Um, <laughs> well, otherwise, I guess you can listen to me talk about more stuff on uh, Snap on Ego with Chris, the other podcast I do, and as well uh, I do some articles. I guess on Snap Fan now. Which Teddy, you should do some articles. I think I think you would uh, be a great mind for that. Uh, but I, you'd have to find time, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if they, uh, whatever opens up in the schedule, would, would love to keep it open. All right, and now back to the show. Welcome back, my friends, to Can't Stop Snapping, episode 72. This is continuing the discussion that me and Brad have been having on the latest OTA. We are both in love with these changes. And in this part of the discussion, we want to focus on the unloved cards that got surprisingly elevated to incredible potential here. And the, the theory crafting that we can have, what is going to be on the rise in the meta? I think that it, for the completeness sake, we're seeing the fastest time for any card to get buffed. Phoenix Force, Brad. Mm -hmm. From 5.6 to 4.5. How excited are you for this? Because I, I like the change, but I don't think it actually changes how I build the deck. So that's the thing. Like it, the the deck building for this uh, for this card is going to mostly stay the same, right? You're probably going to want to include Sherry for those games where you had the opportunity to. Um, you might do be doing that Red Skull package kind of thing if you if you want to go in that route or if you're going all in. Um, 
I think most of the deck builds stay the same as what we've established already. However, presenting a better curve for the deck, being able to go, you know, turn turn one, whatever, turn two, multiple man, turn three, Venom or uh, Carnage or any of your destroy stuff, right? And then turn four, Phoenix right off the bat and give yeah. yourself multiple turns to go back and forth, back and forth and just leave a trail of multiple men everywhere. That is incredibly powerful in my mind. And this also oh, goes yes. in hand with the Ghost Spider buff and being able to sneak in a Ghost Spider uh, a lot easier as a one-two to help move around multiple man. Because now, like, next turn on five, you could potentially go move Ghost Spider, play something else, whatever, um, and then just have the opportunity to do more finagling like that. So I think this does make a pretty large impact overall. Yes, and I'm so glad because I didn't realize how little I liked Phoenix Force until the weekend mission came around and I had to play the 15 games with Phoenix Force. I was like, oh, make it stop, make it stop, go play on the free-to-play where I don't own it so I could do something else, please. Like, it was, I actually hated having to do those 15 games. I got beaten over and over again. I'm like, guys, just take it easy. I'm hitting my weekend missions done. Do you want to know a secret, Teddy? What's this? Yo, you just throw it in whatever deck that's competitive. Or, or you just don't do it. You just don't do it. You just don't. Oh, you don't Let's care. To the grind. I'll give you an example. All of those the, missions. Yeah, the um, the Patriot one, right? Yeah. I didn't do that for shit. I said, fuck off. No, thank you. I don't like Patriot decks. I don't like playing them. I don't like playing against them. Yeah. I cannot stand that deck, especially now that it has the Iron Lad stuff going on in it, which I think is a good deck. Don't get me wrong. I've played it with that current build. I think yeah. it is very good. I don't like being, I don't like feeling like I gotta start playing Enchantress again. Like, I just, I don't wanna do that. I wanna play more fun things. Now, though, yeah. I will argue, being able to say, because Enchantress's stock has gone down so much, right? So being able to be like, yo, cool, here's an Enchantress by Patriot Player, that feels very good. <laughs> Can I be honest? Yes, it feels, it feels incredible when that Iron Lad version is less likely to run the Invisible Woman, Patriot, uh, Ultron, Party Bus. Um, I think they still has, do. I think they, they still run some, all of okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, Which, you know, if they, ha if they had the Invisible One, they have it, whatever. Like, okay, get fucked, I guess. But they're not yeah, always going to have exactly. it. <laughs> man. But yeah, so the Phoenix Force coming down to 4-5, the big winner is Multiple Man, right? Because then Multiple Man stays underneath Shang-Chi range for the entire exactly. time. If, uh, if that's how you read the matchup in Conquest, that they are running the Shang-Chi, so you need that protection. If you get the read in the Conquest matchup that they're not, you just go crazy on the buff, whatever you can there. Um, and the Ghost Spider change here are loving it. Another recent Battle Pass card getting the buff. They keep on edging move up. They're like, move, please do something. And I just don't know if it will. Like, I think Ghost Spider is a great card. She already was good for bound, or move, sorry. Now she's good in so many more places. The one cost is so easy to be able to fit in. I think this even births or rebirths a move bounce hybrid deck because you get the synergy with falcon it's very easy to be able to combo this with some of the other very cheap move enablers um, or engine pieces um, and you could see a lot of power out of the the human torch and even dagger yeah um, i think there's a lot of interesting ways to go about building this deck in terms of maybe encouraging you to run it into more traditional move decks uh, with that little you know destroy package I, I still am skeptical on you know targeting Human Torch like I'm like I it's I know it's so powerful right to be able to you know Phoenix Force the Human Torch and be like oh okay, yeah double 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 um, 
but in the back of my mind the entire time I'm doing that, I'm like, they have they have the Killmonger, don't they? And it's it's yeah. it's even worse when you go against a deck where you know they run Killmonger, like another destroy deck, for example, especially if they're running like the Deadpool version. Um, yeah. or like my favorite is when I'm seeing any deck ever, any deck ever, and then all of a sudden you see a Nova appear and you're like, Oh fuck. Oh uh, shit. <laughs> human Torch is no points for me. Yeah. Like and I'm I'm constantly checking them? their deck size. I'm like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. Oh god, they have one card. There's no way that one card is killed longer no shot you don't really have space to run armor yourself for protection nor do you necessarily Um, want to slow yourself down i don't i don't know it's so hard to yeah the the human torch tech is is really challenging um would you run dagger instead of human torch then i mean that that's still very powerful, especially in the meta we're heading towards with Thanos being a lot more prevalent thanks to Gene Gray and some ongoing synergies in that yeah. regard. So we're not seeing the death version of Thanos much, so there's not much uh, worry in that matchup, I guess, already to be soft to a Human Torch. But bef- even if they do run the death version and you're going with a card like uh, dagger you still have plenty of opportunities before they start eating all their stuff to kind of zigzag back and forth and target these large lanes so and even if you're only hitting one at a time plus two a turn is absolutely nothing to scoff at especially if you're trying to go into like things like i mean that maybe that would think of a different build in general like maybe you're going turn one like sunspot and then on like turn four um you play that turn five you float just do your moving around thing turn six taskmaster after another move like i think that could be a way to go about it yeah i feel like the human torch will run zola they'll move double Mm -hmm. and then zola two lanes you could do that with the dagger as well true she probably doesn't have the same ceiling but she is so much more reliable when she can kind of dodge shang chi and then be invulnerable to killmonger right yeah no i agree so i think that's ah man the the I'm really hoping this deck takes off to an extent of being like a, a meta viable deck. I think it. I think it was really close already. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping this pushes it over to that that little knob, right, right in the right direction. So I think it's a really cool deck. I, I think it's a very unique deck. Um, I don't feel like it, it's like a very non-tilting deck. I think I could be speaking for a lot of people in this in this way, or like where I shouldn't be. Uh, but I don't know how you feel. Like, do, do you feel that this deck has any potential to make you upset at the game? Do you ever feel like, 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 oh, of course they have the Phoenix or whatever. Like, like this, uh, I don't it's know. It's a little bit like playing solo. I, there are ways for your opponent to interact with you, but if you hit the ceiling, you do incredibly well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to share an image with you on Discord if you want to sure. throw this in the podcast or whatever form. You I do with do this that. what you will, is, is what I will say. I ran my new Living Tribunal deck up against the opponent's new juiced-up Phoenix Force deck. And I ran Magic. So I want to kind of broaden the discussion here as, does Phoenix Force want to run Magic to be able to give you more consistency and more um, high-end? You're about to see a beautiful board, Brad. The beautiful board it's is... fucking stacked. Holy shit. Nine then, yeah. multiple men that are significantly buffed. My opponent put up 32, 25, 35... They lost to my living tribunal, though. <laughs> but just like taking taking the, li- I high rolled them with the living tribunal, right? You did, taking yeah. You, you out, got the nuts. I I was sitting on the nuts. Well, I also had a flawless victory. I hit the nuts every time. I think living tribunal is <laughs> actually insane. I think he could be an A tier deck. It like I'm getting echoes of Shuri of like it's consistent and unstoppable because you can run invisible woman and Cosmo in it. So I'm really scared about what living tribunal could actually do. 
But just looking at what the opponent did here, against other decks, this is a winning scenario. So do they want to run magic? If you play magic three or four, I feel like you can still get the combos together. I don't know. It's tough because then it's competing with when you're destroying your multiple man. Well, no, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal because, like, let's say um, well, you, you play go... on five because you get Phoenix Force on four and then you're moving, you're busy moving it on five. And so then you play um, a, a moving card like Ghost Spider or Iron Fist and then you play the. Um, the magic on five, right? Yeah, and or if you see a line in which you are, um, like, you have a hand where you have magic, multiple man, and, like, carnage, you just don't play them on two to avoid a potential cosmo or armor in that lane of multiple man, and then say, yeah. okay, we're going to magic, and then we're going to on turn four, multiple man carnage immediately, and then yeah. that's fine. I'll take that one turn off from uh, from being able to move stuff, and but I'll still be able to essentially net the a similar um, advantage in that regard for the later turns. So... Yeah, I think you can still have really good curves. Um, I think getting I, the extra turn to move around or getting the extra turn to draw Phoenix Force because yes, everything hinges around the Phoenix Force, I think that's where magic could actually be very beneficial for this deck because obviously the ceiling for the deck is close to or above the other decks right now. And so being able to hit that ceiling more consistently is like, you should always push for that. Let me ask you this. Because you mentioned this about Living Tribunal, and I guess we can touch on that now. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, Living Tribunal is a 6-9, no longer a 6-6. Six, six. That is the change. Um, Lord the, help us. The dev said that it's essentially a plus one, basically, when it comes to Living Tribunal, and the way that it, the math works. It is not. It is well, more. Let me, let me <laughs> ask you this. You said that you're worried about Living Tribunal being potentially the next jury. Uh, because of the way that it's that it plays, it has similar like you know uh, airs of that. You know, it's a wombo combo behind Cosmo. Okay, mm -hmm. is it possible? Okay, now hear me out. Is it possible this is one of those things in which Living Tribunal wasn't so bad after all, and it, all it takes was a little nudge in the direction of like maybe you should try playing this for people to realize the potential that this tech has. It was, a, it was the elbow coming off of the top <laughs> rung with plus three power. Play this. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nudge. I, I actually think it could be yes. The thing is that like this deck had it's kind of like in its power is kind of like the old ongoing destroyer. It's set. It's capped. Yeah. Um, and so that caps relative power to everything else in the meta just determines everything for it. A couple points up, a couple points down. Like, I remember playing Ongoing Destroy versus Ongoing Destroy Mirrors. We would tie very consistently because mm -hmm. we both just did our points. Um, yeah. And so I think before he was just too low to really see the same play. I know that, I made this joke in my video, in Ranked, there were already some decks that were doing well because uh, it was a surprise tech. You would drop it down. Your opponent would be sh so shocked that someone else was running Living Tribunal that they would let go of their phone as their $1,000 piece of hardware shattered on the bathroom tile. They would disconnect and you would win a couple cubes from them. But in Conquest, it was really not viable because the opponent could understand just like stack the two lanes if he sets it up for it. Um, but I saw like especially Binks, I think, had a video with pretty good win rate on a, on a Living Tribunal mm -hmm. deck. I yeah, could I definitely that. see this being the arrow or the leader treatment that was like it was unused, buffed, um, well, specifically like Arrow, right? She got buffed, suddenly was everywhere, was overpowered, and then they bring it back down. But then we get into a discussion that you love is, is 8 or 9 better? That's also tough. Now, I mean, to be fair, you're saying that this deck works great with Cosmo. Um, I yeah. will say that I am 50-50 on that. My reasoning being because I, I feel like you are encouraged to run Iron Lad in this list to be able to high roll into Onslaught window and draw it or like Living Tribunal himself, that kind of thing. 
Um, so maybe that makes for those games where you don't want to drop Cosmo a bit awkward. Because if you're trying to hit, you know, uh, Iron Man or Onslaught or whatever, like you want them to be in the same lane, you can't Cosmo. But yeah, my deck does not run Iron Lad. What I'm using is the um, the Jubilee and the Magic to be able to thin the deck. So mm-hmm. I will consistently I mean, only sense. have one card left in deck um, by the end of the game, and that means I hit him. I'm yeah, hitting my combo that. very consistently, uh, even without Iron Lad. Iron Lad would be yet another consistency factor. I just feel like Cosmo is that important that he's actually better than Lad. For oh, no, I mean, I also run Cosmo in, in mind. Okay. Uh, gotcha, I run gotcha. both. I'm um, just saying that you're like, just ready to uh, adapt on the matchup. Yeah, exactly. Like, do I lean into one or the other? I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can tell you, I'm not running the Ant Man Invisible Woman. I'm actually running uh, uh, Zabu in mine because I'm running the Iron Lad uh, to gotcha. be able to hit those early hits, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, to go to your original question about what's better, nine or eight? Well, are you asking from the perspective of me being the Living Tribunal player? or the meta as a, as a as a whole. Yeah, because I think it's pretty easy to say that 9 is better for Tribunal that wants Iron Man and Cosmo synergies, but mm-hmm. then meta as a whole gets way more interesting. I think it's better for the meta that it's at 9 because at least it can be susceptible to Shang-Chi in those matchups, especially within a Conquest environment um, where it's like, hey, you got to have a Cosmo. If you don't have Cosmo, you don't have the nuts for that. It sucks to suck, I guess, right? Um, or the Invisible Woman, but they could counter with their own or their... What have you? Yeah. Yeah. So, and maybe, maybe Echo can really shine now. Echo, uh, so yes, this deck dies to Echo and it dies to uh, Enchantress. Oh, that too. Those are those are the two. I think you have the tools with Invisible Woman and Cosmo to not care about Enchantress. Hopefully, mm-hmm. if they're layering Enchantress and Rogue, then they can get you. Um, but that's like really. But then they need to they need to run both Enchantress and Rogue, and how often yes, do you that's, see that's that? Like, that's like too much for no, nobody was running that right now. Um, so that was Shuri existed before Negasonic was big, um, and also before Echo was anywhere. Like if Echo and Negasonic were in the meta when Shuri was there, I don't know because they just throw out Cosmo, and then you can probably dodge. Like for the Shuri's case, you could probably dodge the Echo negating. I the think Cosmo. so too. But in this one, because you're building all oh no, Echo effects. would just make them better because now that now they can just be like, well, I can play in the Echo lane. I just I don't have to worry about silencing my Red Skull now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But for this one, because you're building all, it's an ongoing wombo combo. The Echo comes out on your, I mean, Invisible Woman uh, as soon as they see your Cosmo. If they if they understand that's what you're doing in Conquest, you are cooked. <laughs> Yeah, but then again, they asked me running both Echo and uh, you know Negasonic, which are, again are two cards that are not seeing a lot of play. One Echo being so new, uh, but also yeah. having pretty poor reviews from a lot of people that have played her. Um, unless yeah. you're Chris Bootman, who if it's any tech card, like I love you, Chris. Uh, I love doing Simon Eagle with you, but you have a huge soft spot for one cost tech cards, uh, Howard. Uh, in addition to oh, Ghost, he, Howard? he loves Howard. He loves Ghost, not Ghost Spider. Ghost, while yeah. also loving Echo so far. And look at that; they're all one-two tech cards. I think he just has a soft spot for that that uh, that kind of aspect of the game. Um, or maybe he's Echo he's enlightened. Uh, yeah, maybe it is. I I, uh, I tried playing the Echo very aggressively. It took me an hour and ten minutes to get my clip of a single game of Echo <laughs> being impactful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but and then I in mean, terms of ghost, I'm actually enjoying a lot more success. But 
Yeah. Just real quick, I want I do want to say for people that immediately come out and say things like Howard, Echo, like these type of cards, right? Because I think they're all very similar in terms of their impact level for two reasons. Because A, they're niche tech cards, and B, it's hard to quantify the impact level because it's, you know, it's like Iceman tenfold. You really don't see the impact level of them because it's all about your opponent being forced to play around certain things. Um, And then, of course, uh, the information that Howard gives, for example, kind of same thing. Like, did that matter? Did it not? That kind of thing. Um, So I think when people come out and say, Echo is really bad. Ghost is really bad. Don't get this card. Well, I think it's probably correct in the sense that you shouldn't spend 6,000 tokens on these type of cards, especially in the economy in its state now. Yeah. I think it's a bit heavy-handed and a bit uh, incorrect to say the reason you shouldn't get these cards is because they're bad, not because of the economy and the value that they represent. Because it's not... It's so hard to quantify what the impact of these cards are because the unknown is just as important as the known for these types of effects. And I, you can't definitively say one way or the other, Echo's a bad card. Echo could be an amazing card, and I think that she has the possibility to be that. Same thing with Ghost. It's just, you never tell. It's like you're saying you want to get a clip on it. Well, how many games did you play that you unknowingly stopped them from playing a card? Maybe they had a Darkhawk in hand or something like that, and yeah. they, they determined the best line of action was to go with a different route, and you never knew they had that card in hand. Yeah, I think it right. was a couple times, honestly, over the course of an hour. But it, yeah, again, it doesn't translate into a clip that I can use for content. Exactly. Um, so I think I, I enjoy Echo just fine. I think I come down on her as like upper Series 3, maybe a Series 4 value in terms of like the game economy. If we're rating things like Series 5 should be the best and most expensive, um, which take it as you will, if not, how you like that system. But I, I would yeah. like to see Echo releasing as um, S4. Maybe Mirage is S5, in fact, with uh, how interesting she is, but Shouldn't say too much on cards that I haven't gotten my hands on. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about Mirage. Let me tell you that. Very that's, excited that's for Mirage. Really and, oh, that variant in the cash. If I was ever going to chase a variant in the oh, cash. Oh, and even even more exciting. So clean. We're not so going. We, we may have an announcement next week on the next episode on who's going to be talking Mirage with us. So I guess stay oh, tuned for that. Wood. Look at that! It's an announcement of an announcement. I'm so good at this. I'm so good at this. You got the teaser trailer <laughs> to the trailer. Um, so. Do we want to say anything more about Living Tribunal, guys? Like, play Living Tribunal if you I, give it you a try. Wanted to, this yeah. is this is your shot. I am putting up a consistent stat line of uh, thirty-two points per lane, um, or about thirty per lane, which is which is very much a winning stat line in the meta. Yes, yeah. you're giving your opponent in many games magic, so their score lines will also be inflated. Um, but this deck just thrives in those final turns. You're able to turn what looks like abysmal situations into into dubs. Um, and it is pretty consistent with the combination of Jubilee Magic. It's more consistent than you might think. Um, magic really turned it from a clunky junk, I got a combo, sixes and fives together to it's smooth. I just play Iron Man on five, I play Onslaught on six, I play Living Tribunal on seven, and it just works. It just works. So I think it's great. And if you enjoy the Wombo Combo styles of decks, this one is is very fun. You even get the Cosmo as a little bit of control, and you've got plenty of protection for yourself. So um, I feel almost like I'm playing Solitaire. My opponent's over there with that Phoenix Force deck. He's like, I'm running the combos. I'm playing my move cards. I'm moving my cards. I'm destroying my cards. I got the Phoenix Force. I got him. And I'm comboing all this into the right position to be able to Heimdall. And I'm just like, and I play one card. It's Iron Man. 
Mm-hmm. I played another card. It is Onslaught. This is all under Invisible Woman. He doesn't know what's happening. Oh, I top decked Living Tribunal. I snapped Living yeah, Tribunal. Very cool. And if you're if you're like the wombo combo kind of decks, uh, there is the version uh, that we saw before of which it was Living Tribunal combined with Hella. Come on, yes. Come on, you fucker. Hop on here. Come I. On. Uh, I, almost, I feel Good like girl. this deck takes over against that. Well, so I think Hella will actually love magic, right? Any deck yeah. that was before inconsistent but had a ceiling above other decks that's happy to go the extra turn and say, my power generation will still beat you, but now gets more consistently turn seven to more consistently find the combo it needed is going to be very happy. Um, Hella has the extra inconsistency of sometimes she just gets discarded herself. Yeah. So there's like that that you still have to juggle with Hella. If you want that dopamine hit, though, if we're high rolling Hella. Yes, the ceiling on Hella is so good. And I think Magic is going to help her. Well, let's let's talk about Magic. If we're going to finish off your your segment of anything, we talk about Magic a little bit on the other half, right? But I think we talk about the meta impact of Magic, right? The the impact that Magic can have across all these different decks in terms of how is it going to shape out the meta itself. But I think what I'm interested in this idea is where do you think magic can go in terms of decks maybe built around her? Um, yeah. I can give you one example real quick is the infinite deck that I like a lot with the She-Hulk kind of thing going on. Um, I think it's oh, very yes, happy yes. to have magic yes. earlier as opposed to being a later card. Um, and it honestly maybe makes, uh, what's it called, a bit redundant, maybe not unnecessary, a Psylocke now. Um, yes, you're relying yeah. a bit more on magic at that point, but you know, it is what it is. And before one of the dream lines before magic's original state was turn, uh, turn three. Um, yeah. Turn three, Psylocke turn four magic turn five, Shuri float. And then infinite, uh, you know, she Hulk <laughs> was amazing. But now that's just a curve. You just go turn three magic, turn four Shuri. And like, if you have a sunspot stuff down, you just go float, float, and then do that. That seems dumb. Um, And I've already. Oh, this guy over here. Float, float. I love it. But it's (laughs) true. It's true. You you can go sunspot armor and then magic Shuri, float five and six, and just gain 11 power to your armor lane. Um, and then go ahead and just drop down an infinite somewhere and a, and a doubled uh, She-Hulk. And I guess sometimes it's also worth just going double infinite and She-Hulk in the same lane kind of thing if you really need to. But ah oh man, what do you think? What what decks or brews have you talked or thought of for like Magic? Yeah, so I think everybody's eyes is going to be on Magic Surfer. The and everybody who's played in the beta is like, well, Sarah Magic is back, baby. That was in every single deck. Um, for a, about a season, and then they changed Magic to be unplayable on 6, and that broke up the combo. It, it had to split ways. But now, she's just she's just back again. Like, you can run um, Sarah Magic Negative. That was top of the meta before. You can run Sarah Magic Surfer. Um, all of these decks that want to be able to kind of bloat the building out around 3 costs and 4 costs, and even a couple 5s interspersed, with the Sarah discount and then going for 2 turns... And giving you that extra splash of enemy on turn energies on turn seven, it opens up so much. You can fully disguise what your deck is, um, mm-hmm. and then drop everything on these final turns and shock the opponent. Just Sarah control 
Well, I think every version of Sarah loves magic, honestly, except for the Sarah Miracle that wanted to gas itself out on that turn six. Everything yeah. else, like, Sarah Control loves magic because magic forces the opponent to start tipping their hand to their big pieces so you can line up Control much more easily on turn seven than turn six. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of... There's so many options with magic, and I, yeah. I'm sure there's ones that I'm not even thinking of in terms of like All right, so the next combos. one is Devil Dino. Uh, Devil Dino, because he can keep on generating cards, is really good. Oh, You're always going to yeah. have a big hand size. You can tech bring back the um, White Queen, which had often been cut. Just take the opponent's best card. You've got the energy efficiency of Quinjet. You can play every single card that Nick Fury gives you if you have Quinjet now and That's Magic true. together. Like, yeah. It's obscene what this deck is able to do, and you're able to then have this insane X factor. The opponent's not expecting all of this, but you just have gas for days into the final turns. Um, and Devil Dino himself is a late-game champ. You have Cosmo that want, likes to play in that deck, hand protect Limbo and protect Devil Dino. He can do double duty there. That, I think, is going to be the most winning Magic decks are going to be ones that can incorporate Cosmo to give you the assurance that Limbo survives and then you get a double use of him of in, in Living Tribunal, he's protecting the Living Tribunal. In Devil Dino, he's protecting the Devil Dino, stuff like that. Again, we're not even talking about the uh, the thing we were alluding to earlier with the Legion stuff with uh, yes. with all that. So, Yeah, Legion gives you yet another dimension, and it means that you get to play on a board that's going to be completely level. You get to cancel out all location effects, which there's plenty of decks and players that are actually just going to enjoy that. Yeah, and I, I still think the idea of being able to play doesn't have to be the exact server thing I was alluding to with, like, you know, like Rhino and, like, uh, like uh, Storm, that kind of thing. But just yeah. a deck that runs those kind of effects, uh, maybe even a Thanos list that runs magic now, because now you have that little back pocket reality stone. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it off. Like just that aspect of it is gonna be so interesting. I think 100. I think this Thanos death actually really likes the extra turn. Yeah, they're like, I found my combos. We then cancel limbo. I didn't find my combos. Turn seven's coming, and I got. Yeah. I finally hit the null because it is so much card draw. It can be inconsistent in the early to mid game, but by the late game, it does even out. And by an extended game, I think Thanos might actually come out ahead in terms of thinning the deck. And it'll want something to destroy the stone so you don't just have like clutter by yeah, yeah. by the final turn. But um, even junk decks running yeah. magic, yeah. you're like, oh, I filled your entire board, and now I you're way ahead of me, but I have extra time and you have no board space. So yeah, <laughs> being able to really leverage uh, things like uh, Valkyrie. Um, and stuff like that uh, to kind of pull ahead. Yeah, I really like this idea of, uh, like, just, again, magic. This magic change may be the most impactful balance change since launch, since global release. Since changing her to not be effective on turn six? <laughs> yeah, since the other magic change. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's true. I'm trying to think of, like, what else would there be? There were some cards that got murdered way back in the beta, but for the two magic changes, because she was absolutely the top of the meta. It was Magic Sarah everywhere, and then mm -hmm. she was changed. And then since then, maybe the Shuri change is the only thing well, that comes close. I think, I think this is even exactly. more so impactful than any of the changes that we see in terms of nerfs, okay? Because the nerfs, while bringing down the power level of a lot of these decks still makes it so that like a form or then of another of those decks still exist 
right? That's true. That's true. Like even the the example of like the 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 Sarah Magic thing, right? You can no longer do it on turn six, and maybe that you don't no longer play Magic in that Sarah deck, but. Sarah deck still existed. Decks that yeah. want to utilize magic still existed. Zabu deck still existed. Shuri deck still existed. Have we have we yet to see an update like this, which has the potential to completely flip the meta up on its head in an instant? I don't think that. Yeah, in terms of like the broad application of this card, probably not. In terms of like broad application of the card. Most plug-and-play card otherwise might be like Kitty's release, you know, but that's like a new card coming into the game. This is an old card getting updated into just wild increase in power, and uh, I'm absolutely here for it. I'm, I'm curious, man. I, I, I'm wondering, like, if this is something they end up reverting or making a tweak of, like, oh, she's a 4-2 now or something. Like, I, I'm, I'm really curious, because then they also said they were going to, in the next patch, make it so that she can be played on turn six. It's just her on reveal yes. is disabled, um, which yes, I think which I'm a fan of. Which is a flexibility of. update that I think people have been wanting for a long time. Any decades. Yeah. Running magic while a niche scenario has been handcuffed on the final turn for wanting that power, but then not even being able to play her. Yeah. Um, especially like the negative version, when you do a five power, three cost magic, and you're like, turn six, I can't do it. Yeah, no, or really or in Cerebro, previously Cerebro 3, sometimes I'd be like, yes. my best play yes. was to drop magic, and then like I had a 1-something, right? Uh, Cerebro 2 is the gods. So Cerebro 2 is an interesting thing with magic, because that. now they have another way to change locations. Before, it was only Storm. Yeah, storm on one lane, and they have magic on the other. Yeah. But here's the thing. Now that they're pulling even in terms of Cerebro 3 and in terms of uh, lane... Well, actually, no. Now they're pulling ahead because before it was... Uh, in Cerebro 3, it was Scarlet Witch, Rhino, and Magic. Now they're yeah. losing Magic. Magic's going... So now they're pulling even, okay? And yeah, basically two good. each. Here's the difference, though. Cerebro 2 still has yet to introduce a card that can change the monster. Yeah. That's it. It's just, it's, it's, it is the monster that is the bane of their existence. Super 3 can at least Valkyrie the monster and, you know, still get the, the buff everywhere. The monster, the monster sucks. It, it does. Um, yeah. You can. Okay, it's technically possible. You can eat it with Carnage, reset the Carnage with. Um, it's really hard. You can eat it with Carnage, reset Why the are Carnage, you playing Carnage with uh, Shadow King, and then move Shadow King. Why are you playing to Shadow another... King? So that you can reset it down to two, and then you have to hit it with, like, uh, maybe it's not possible. Hit it with a yellow jacket. Oh, my God. That's so fucking convoluted. Yeah, you don't do that, but... Uh... <laughs> okay. Possible, sure, but probable, very, no, very not unlikely. Not at all, not at all. Because yeah. even that scenario that you just painted needs a lot of setup to happen. And then you're it's, running it's those ugly. three cards specifically to counter the one-time monster appears in your 10-game run. That's uh, very ugly. Yeah. I have seen some some very interesting ideas on C2s using the um, yellow jacket and then actually not using it's very aggressive to not run the loot cage but then use yellow jacket to reset a couple three costs that you think are going to be valuable enough yeah, to I've elevate your game but uh Cerebro so it's a tangent but in terms of like card designs across all card games I think Cerebro is one of the cleverest yeah. To have an archetype that's built around dragging in cards of one power entirely, and you can deck build at all these different power levels, and every time a new card, it, it potentially alters this archetype. I think it's just a fascinating, a brilliant idea, and it has a cult following and snap, and I think that's, it's brilliant. 
It's a very clever one. I agree with that. But it's also one I would hate to be a massive fan of because it feels like every single time an update happens or an OTA happens, I just see one person going, my Cerebro whatever deck, it's ruined. In this yeah. update, it was the Cerebro 3 players being like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't, don't really pity them. Though I think Cerebro 2 already had some legs. It's just I preferred Cerebro 3 if I were to play that deck because of its interaction with locations as well as the monster being both very powerful. The um, Valkyrie and the Shang-Chi controller accessibility is so, yeah. so good. And but Professor now, C2 X C2 being able to lock down a thing. Jeff is in C3 to go with this, yeah, yeah. the Professor X thing. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in it. But yeah, that, that's yeah. that's magic. That's bounce. That's all these cards. It's Living Tribunal. If you could leave today, to end on a very beautiful note, Teddy, what card are you the most excited for? Um, not maybe even just for your own sake of like build arounds and decks you can enjoy playing, but in terms of other people's enjoyments, cards that you want to see get played more, and now they have the chance to, or you know, even if it's just saying I hate playing against bounce, fuck that deck. That's the most thing I'm excited for. What are you most excited yeah. for with this OTA? I mean, I do love the Spider Ham getting pushed to being more expensive because he feels so bad to play against when he's just like taking these snipes at your at your deck and you're like, oh, well, now I don't have the combo. I have the combo. Now I don't have the combo. That felt so bad. So having that happen less often is fantastic. And then um, the Living Tribunal Man is really fun. <laughs> I've, I've it had brought a lot back of a spark too. of joy in me when I had been building the old Omega Red Wombo combos, and I'm like, this is that same feeling. It is so much fun. Um, but it's part of that is that it's both Living Tribunal and Magic getting to work together. Um, and there's just so much deck building possibility around Magic. And I do like the mind game of will Limbo remain with yeah. how many effects can turn it off. So I think Magic is is ultimately my like the one that's taken up most of my my brain space. I think deservedly so. I yeah. think I think magic is the one that has probably the highest ceiling of impact on the meta. Magic also is one that worries me the most. Um because she also has some of the most beautiful variants. Uh can we talk yeah. about those? Sure. I mean just the season pass one is is absolute fire. That's so my favorite one grab actually stuff for a for a thumbnail and I was like, "Man, magic variants don't miss." Even the pixel is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> like she's in like hell, like literally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think magic has some amazing variants. And of course, everyone's favorite magic variant from what I've talked to is almost always that microphone one where she's slashing them all in a single swoop, which don't get me wrong, I yep. enjoy, but uh, I, I really like that Phoenix Force. There's, and honestly, one of the best My one critique base is that the parts. sword is really small. Yeah. Oh, and that the variant, base art of magic is good. yeah. I think the uh, one of the best base arts in the game. I, I you know what? Yeah. I would say the second best base art in the game. Can you guess what Ooh. number one is? Well, the correct answer is Star Lord because of the Scarscape background. Okay, yes, in the context of an infinite border, but we're saying purely art only, um, without any effects added on. I don't know. What are you going to pull for? I think it's Jane Foster. Jane Foster? Yeah. Jane Foster is a good one. I was going to go for Star, uh, Snowguard. Snowguard's cool. Um, I get a... Uh, so that one's kind of cheating because it's so many in one. 
Yeah, I th- that one reminds me of uh, Brother Bear, the movie with the Native Americans, the animated one, uh, where like mm-hmm. one of them transforms to the bear after his. Uh, I, I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it. We were kids at the same time. <laughs> no, no, I know, but some some movies like like okay, the the movie uh, Spirit, I think the one with um, that is Matthew Broderick voices a horse. No one remembers that movie when I talk about it. No one ever. I remember that one. It is a horrible movie. That one. We could we could be friends, Brad. We could be okay. friends. Um, I'm happy you're my friend, Teddy. We can talk about the bad animated movies of the early 2000s, in which Matthew Broderick <laughs> oh, delivered okay, possibly okay. the most un, the most horrible voice acting performance <laughs> in an animated film I've ever seen. Dinosaur? You watch Dinosaur? Oh, I love Dinosaur. Yeah. The fucking lemurs? <laughs> see, see, we connect, we connect. Yeah, hell yeah. Dude, the <laughs> dinosaur is great. It, the the animation in Dinosaur is almost unsettling the way the style is. That, and was, like, like, that was like Avatar before Avatar, right? The insane yeah. animation budget for a movie well, that unfortunately flopped. Avatar did incredibly well. Um, <laughs> I guess that's where the past <laughs> dinosaur flopped. Unfortunately, I played. I played. A, there was a, a an old PC uh, game that I had. It was dinosaur. It was from the dinosaur movie. Remember when movies would just have like a blanket? Like every single yes. movie always had a game that came with it. Yeah. And one yeah. of the mini games was had a chess. snowboarding ripoff. Oh, oh yeah, like uh, like um, uh, what's it called? What was the? It's, it's an abbreviation uh, for the snowboarding game. Doesn't fucking matter. Anyway, the dinosaur one was a chess one, where each each okay. dinosaur piece was it's a chess piece, but it had slightly yeah. different rules than normal chess. I don't remember Getting the specifics. I just remember it being really fun and very addictive, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever played. I'm so happy nice. right now. <laughs> God, this is amazing. Oh, that's great. I mean, and and then. Do you agree with me in saying two of the most underrated animated movies of all time came out around the same times, being Atlantis and Treasure Planet? Yes. In fact, here's the thing: is like for me, I enjoyed them so much, I don't even understand why they're that, that they're underrated. I was well, like, they were box Treasure office Planet flops, is... and a lot of people don't watch why? them. I like Treasure Planet, especially so so good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an issue of them being lesser Rodel Dorado to, in there as well. Oh, that Rodel too. Well, uh, Rodel Dorado has be a, over Atlantis for me. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. I think Rodel Atlantis Dorado has the um, performance. It does, but I think Rodel Dorado has the thing of it being a bit more of a, having a cult following, especially a meme yes. following with the internet now. Also, yes, a horny following. Let's be honest. It's in a renaissance. Yeah, it's in all of those things. So it's one of those uh, movies where I think it has a bit more legs than uh, than the other two. I think Treasure Planet is one that falls behind the most because tragic. it is tragic. It's also one of the most visually stunning movies of that time, uh, of like of like for animation because like the space, the way they uh, it's. In that early renaissance of when they started doing the combination of 2D and 3D animations in the same movies. Yes, like Western animation was close to something great. And then they just went into, let's make Toy Story over and over, and but worse, yeah. basically over and over again. And now I think it's finally coming back with like uh, Puss in Boots and um, Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse like, is insane We can, we can stylize animation. the animation. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've finally been able to catch up like to where we, we could have been if we'd followed in the path of, of Treasure Planet. Yeah, I love the, the the idea that you could have different animation styles within the same movie, especially Spider Verse being able to pull that off so well with the multiverse stuff. Um, yeah. Oh man, I, God, I fucking love movies, dude. Again, my 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 fucking degree is in film or cinematography right, specifically, nice. so I am a slut for this shit. So we should. I mean, <laughs> I've been trying to convince Chris to do it to do like a pop culture movie podcast. Let's 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 do all three of us just just talk shit about movies. 
even if it's a monthly, I'll fucking do it. Like, I do not give yep. a fuck. I, I want to have an outlet to talk about shit like this without basically forcing the listeners of a different game entirely to, like, be subject to this kind of thing. So oh, I'll man, have to... It'd be fun. It'd be fun. I agree. But I guess with that, Teddy, this is your side of it. Sign us off. Tell us how beautiful we are. Thank you, everybody, for watching. If you guys pick up any of the decks that we've suggested, I hope they earn you many cubes on your climb up to infinite. You can catch us again next week. We're very excited for some future guest stars that we have, and you'll have to let us know in the comments if you have any awesome comment or uh, topic ideas for us to be able to cover. We were really enjoying getting to work with Drew Barry over the greatest snap cards of all time. If you haven't checked yeah. out that bracket, you got to go back on my channel to be able to watch that over or over on Spotify, wherever you choose to enjoy this magnificent podcast. Till next time, thank you guys for watching. Keep on snapping. Bye. Can't Stop Snapping is a podcast hosted and produced by Brad Saffer and Teddy Ninja, originally created by Michael Thurman.